Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. All right, hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined as I am every week by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on the show, we have a little double feature action as we welcome head coach of the national championship, Clemson Tigers, to the show, Mike Noonan as well as being sports broadcaster, Eric Krakauer. Eric's recently been named the new announcer for Charlotte's MLS team. So uh, got a lot to get to today. Um, guys, I finally am back uh, for the road. Three weeks on the road, uh, long road trip here. Um, back in my official OTB studio. I was back east producing those two stand-up comedy specials, one with the, the legendary Don Gavin, commonly referred to as the godfather of Boston comedy, and, uh, and Tom Cotter, who's... Um, this was a runner-up for America's Got Talent, top comedic finisher. So I'm out there in Nantucket, way out, 40 miles out to sea, when I hear that my old teammate, roommate at times, uh, sometimes against his will, Mike Noonan, uh, is in the final four with his Clemson Tigers. So a bunch of us all rallied, jumped on planes, trains, automobiles, headed down to Cary, North Carolina to check out the games. Uh, actually, an amazing facility and some really Really great soccer was played. Grail, Sam, I know we've complained about some of the soccer we've watched up in the Northeast, but man, these guys could play all four teams. It was a great tournament, which brings us to our first guest. He is the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. Uh, boy, you know, I could go through a lot of what he has accomplished, but uh, they've been in the, uh, we'll, we'll say it's, uh, they've reached the NCAA tournament six of the past seven years. Now, now seven of eight, I guess, uh, including an NCAA quarterfinal appearance in 216 and 219, which is pretty amazing in and of itself. In 215, Noonan guided the Tigers to a spot in the championship match uh, where they were runners-up. So they were back this year in the, uh, in the big dance, and, uh, and they took it with a 2-0 win over Washington. Uh, so we welcome to Over the Ball uh, my old friend, my old teammate, Grail's friend and teammate as well, and Sam, I'm sure he likes you as a friend. Mike Noonan, welcome to OTB. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I don't think you'd expect anything else this week, right? <laughs> uh, Coach, I got to tell you, I, we were just talking about just before you came on air, but it was wonderful to see. You know, we had probably, uh, you know, geez, about 15 guys that I knew that have played with you and uh, you have, um, uh, they've been coaches for you. You've taught them some of your mentors. Your, you know, the guy who mentored you, Ron McEachin was there. Uh, some of your teammates from Middlebury, just the, the entitled span of your career, Mike Noon, uh, Mike Gibbons was there who helped coach you at Brown University. So it was just a great feeling to see all my old friends uh, uh, that were your friends and supporters there that everybody rallied that last minute to get out there. But uh, what I was what was most touching for me was to see your wife and your two daughters witness their father uh, win a national championship for as hard as you work uh, for them to see that uh, it must have been a great feeling. Yeah, it really was gratifying for the family, and we're going to have a, you know, extra special Christmas as a result of it, and, um, <clears throat> you know, spend some good quality time just reflecting on the sacrifices that they've made in order to allow me to do the things that, that I did and, and to invest in so many other people on the journey up that mountain. So it's going to be, it's, I'm looking forward to next week and Christmas. Now, uh, a great tournament. Uh, guys, that was a team effort. Uh, you know, you had to make... Uh, some decisions coaching wise, moving players around. You battled a lot of injuries this year. And I, and I don't mean this in, in any off-putting way, but I've seen some of your teams play before. I, I've seen this was a team that was probably not one of your best, uh, but they won it. They did what it took to, to win as a team. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people are saying similar things, Flinny, but I, I contradict you get I will contradict you guys in saying that this may have been one of my best teams. It wasn't the most talented team, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But when it comes to the intangibles of winning and winners, there is absolutely no shortage of character. And, and maybe I won't say the best because I've been doing this for so long. Right. They are up there with the best teams that I've ever had. And I tell you, a lot of the guys from the past and these great teams that you've had in the past uh, were there uh, supporting you. And it's it's amazing to see. It's really what sports are all about. The the alumni come back. They were they're a part of this great program. Uh, they were rooting for you guys. And what I will say about your team is 
they played with this, not a cocky confidence, but just a, a self-assuredness where you almost knew they were going to get a result. Yeah, they had uh, they built that confidence throughout the season, but in particular throughout the NCAA tournament. Um, every game we played was tight, one nothing against Denver, two to one in the 88th minute against Kentucky, uh, penalty kicks out in Oregon. You know, a tough, tough game as you saw in Notre Dame, and then obviously, you know, the one uh, the two nothing win against Washington being the largest margin of, of victory in the final, and and probably played our most complete game in the final, which is so satisfying for a coach and so satisfying for a team. Yeah. You worked the players hard. You made some changes up top. Um, you didn't really have a sort of a, a point man, a holding sort of a center forward. Uh, so different guys played different roles. They ran hard. Uh, but I was quite impressed with the skill level of all four teams in that final four. Um, you know, they, they all played a little differently, but um you know, we were talking about it in the stands. I just think the level of college soccer has gone up uh, so much with the way the way you had the Clemson Tigers playing and Georgetown, the way they played. Um, and then you were also battling this uh, this whole Bobby Clark thing, where where Bobby Clark, this legendary college coach, his son was coaching Washington. Uh, one of his players was coaching Notre Dame, I believe. So it was uh, it was quite odd. It felt like uh, you know they they uh, they had quite a presence there, but but you won it. You want it. Must have felt good. Yeah, all three guys had uh, Bobby Clark uh, ties. Uh, Brian Weiss at Georgetown played for Bobby at Dartmouth and also uh, coached with him at Notre Dame. And then obviously his son, Jamie, at Washington. And, you know, Chad played for him at Notre Dame uh, as well. Uh, but what we all also had was we all had ties to New Hampshire, which is kind of neat because I was at UNH competing against Bobby when – Jamie was growing up at Dartmouth. Uh, Brian was in school and, and competed against him. And, uh, and then Chad coached at Dartmouth before he went to, uh, before he went over to uh, uh, Notre Dame. So there's kind of some neat storylines in, in intertwining. And Bobby sent me a very, very gracious text uh, immediately after the game. And in uh, the way that he is, he's such a humble, wonderful guy. And that's why you see so many of his uh, coaching tree uh, being successful. Yeah. You want it in regulation, which was nice to see so many of these affairs are defensive affairs where people just kind of park the bus and, and hang in there. Um, but you guys played, you went out and played um, and Washington. I thought, you know, in the, in the semis, they had played sort of defensively in the first half, second half, they came out and, and were quite uh, good offensively as well. So um, it was good. To, it was a good final. It was a good final matchup. Um, do you think that for the amount of years you've been coaching, um, to see the difference uh, in the abilities uh, as we move move up. You know, we've talked about the national team. There's a bigger pool now. Um, sometimes we don't have these stars that 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 come out of it, but um, a bigger player pool. But it seemed like the skill level of all four teams in those finals was was very high. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is. In in the competitive uh, parity now in college soccer is uh, continuing to grow, and I think that all tides rise. Plenty, it, you know, it's uh, the national teams got a better player pool. Uh, the level in the MLS is, you know, every year gets better and better. Um, our youth academy leagues are are better and in richer and deeper in talent. Um, you know, you're seeing more Americans placing themselves, you know, first in Europe but now playing in Champions League games that are meaningful. So um, there's no doubt the growth of the game from a uh, competitive talent level at every, uh, every facet of the game in the United States is now uh, it's, it's on the rise. And, and I don't, I don't see an end to that. All right. Your old teammate is uh, dying to get off the bench here and get in there and get, <laughs> get stuck in with his two feet. Uh, uh, Grail. Congrats, Nunes. I, I just couldn't be happier for you and your players and your program and, I was thinking back of the days at Middlebury and on the bridge grill team. And I, and, and I think I'm the, maybe the only guy who's played on two teams with you. Um, I mean, maybe going back to childhood or whatever, but in any case, I couldn't be happier. So two quick questions. You got to the mountaintop. How's the view this is question <laughs> number one and B have you all, have you already sensed some added respect for your players and your program, even though it's only been, you know, less than a week. The view is fantastic. <laughs> um, that's a that's a pretty easy uh, yeah pretty easy answer. It's a uh, you know and, and again 
it's one of those things. I had that Jim Valvano moment when the final whistle went, you know? So, you know, the countdown goes and then, you know, there's a little fist pump and then it's like, I'm looking for someone to hug. I don't know who to <laughs> Which go. direction do I run? Well, what will I do? What do I do? And, uh, and, and, you know, you're just saying in your, in your mind and your quiet voice, we just won a national championship. Yeah. Holy moly. We just won a national championship. So yeah, it, it is great. Uh, you know, it hasn't completely sunk in Flinny because I mean, uh, I grill I, I, yeah, that's who you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. not two teams with me. Two and, little uh, Irish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just call you skipper. <laughs> yeah. Cause by the way, I played with noons on team USA, the bridge grill and the Fort Wayne flames. Wait, so when I did you play in the bridge grill? I don't know. Oh, a couple of, couple times. Wait a second. Uh, wait, wait noons. We got to do a little, do a little <laughs> research deep dive into that. That's nonsense. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think that Flinny uh, might've made an appearance uh, with the grill. It was I a played, friendly though. But it was inside. That was in the, inside the grill. It wasn't outside the grill. Not legit. Or I was the center midfielder for sure. Go ahead. Well, let's just blow right by that. That's a lie. Go yeah. ahead. But but yeah, I, you know, it's it's amazing. Um, the uh, our graduation, mid-year graduation, is today, and yesterday they have the athletic portion of that and obviously the president of the university was at the match but he also obviously highlighted our team during that uh during that ceremony and for a really really good reason because if you know i talked about intangibles in the way that uh and, and i'm just gonna you know tell you if i can find this um like a quote you had or that there you is no there's a uh oh i can't find it right now oh there we go so here are six of our eight seniors who graduated, right? Finished with high honors. Cum laude, which is 3.7 or above. James Brighton, who was our captain who was hurt, and our walk-on goalkeeper, Giles Saxter. That goalkeeper was a walk-on? No, no, no. He, he is a walk-on, our, oh, our backup. Right? Oh, you backup? Yeah. Magna cum laude, 3.85. This is graduated, right? Oscar Ogren, who just was named a finalist for the Herman Trophy Award. George Marks, the goalkeeper, and Charlie Asenzio, the four-time left back. Wow. Summa cum laude, 3.95, was John Martin, who was the uh, guy who made the second penalty against Notre Dame and was named the, uh, uh, the NCAA top 90, you know, top academic performer in the Final Four. So when you have that type of consistency in it, every area and performance of excellence in every area of your life, something really, really good is going to come out of it. And, you know, it, people are now learning, not necessarily respecting, but people are now learning that it's more than just the talent on the field mm -hmm. and your soccer town. There's got to be a balance in your life to be successful. And those guys are, they're, they're legends now down here right. in Clemson. I tell you what, there's one thing, there's one place in this country where you want to win a national championship and that's in Clemson, South Carolina. Well, I mean, these are the things, you know, we had Dave Mazer on last week, who, by the way, was rooting for Georgetown because he's in his conference. He goes, I love noons, but hey, I'm rooting for my conference. Um, but that's, I mean, not what, that's not what he was texting me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice job, Flitty. Oh, I had to out him on that one because noons is my boy. But I mean, these are the things that are bigger than the game themselves. You saw, we talked about your family being there and, and, you know, the hard work and sacrifices that everybody makes to make a national championship. Um, and these players, but also delayed gratification and, and teamwork and, and the sense of, you know, this hard work will lead to something. And, and if it doesn't, it's leading to good habits and things. So, I mean, the, the best coaches are teachers, uh, you know, teachers uh, in, in life. And I, I think that your program certainly speaks to that, plus the amount of guys that you've put in the pros. But when they go to the pros, they've also got a good solid academic background, which is the way it's supposed to be. So. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Jeff Lorenowitz just retired this past year. Obviously, he's being sought after by a lot of different corners because he's, uh, you know, he's got an Ivy League degree. Bobby Belair, you're going to have a, a guy on here for uh, for Charlotte. Bobby Belair is, you know, director of player personnel uh, up there at, at Charlotte and has worked at Atlanta FC. So it's not just, you know, the guys who are playing. Tommy McNamara is still playing. He's still playing. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's playing in New England with, with uh, Bruce Arena and that crew. And, you know, we've got him dotted throughout uh, the MLS. Robbie Robinson down in Miami, Andrew Tarbell down in Austin. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a labor of love, as you know, Flinny. But they all have that solid 
background underneath them, the educational thing. And I always say that I'm just a teacher in short pants, right? And and my job is to (laughs) help facilitate um, young men to become, you know, everybody talks about grown men, but facilitate good decisions for them in terms of whatever career their career path they're on. Do you, do you recruit that way? Do you look for a player who's serious about their academics as well as their, uh, their, their, their game? Oh yeah. No, no question. You can't, you, you, we have to recruit people who are going to be successful at Clemson academically and Clemson's a very difficult school. Um, and, and, but yeah, we have, a, we have a certain criteria that, uh, uh, that every player uh, that we do recruit have to meet seven of 10 criteria and um and if they don't it can be messy you know or Ronaldo yeah. but we're we're not going to bring them because we've learned over 12 years that those players no matter how talented they are won't be successful in in our program it's good to hear uh Sam I have a question for coach Noonan yeah coach congratulations again um uh, the last time we talked to you was last spring and we were all kind of reflecting on the cruelty of the penalty shootout uh in you know tournament play uh this time it was more favorable for you. And as Kevin mentioned, you know, I think as fans, whether neutral or even if we're behind a certain team, you know, we all kind of want, we all hope the game will end in regulation or at least an extra time before the penalties. Uh, I'm just curious what, what you're feeling on the sideline as that game, you know, the clock ticks down and you start to think about penalties. Uh, are you in the same mindset? Yeah, Sam, it's two things. It's preparation and experience, right? Um, we lost to stand. This group lost to Stanford in the quarterfinals and penalties after really, you know, handling the game, but not getting the goal to, to win it in regulation. They, they lost last year to Marshall in a similar fashion. And, and, um, and this year they beat Oregon state and Notre Dame. So I think that the, um, I think that, you know, our experience in the losing the penalties, you know, uh, we trained it a little bit different this year, um, going into it, we tracked it a little bit differently. Um, but more, it was the players having the experience of being in those games, I think, uh, that really pulled them through. And, and again, you can say penalty kick shootouts are, uh, you know, luck of the draw and the coin flip and those types of things. And in many cases they are, but you do have to prepare for them. And I thought that we were as well prepared this year as we've been in any year. And I, I tell you what, when Justin Malou went up and took that penalty in, that won us the uh, the semifinal game. Everybody on our team knew exactly where he was going to put it. Mm-hmm. There was no wavering, and he walked up ice cold and nailed it. And you know, in that type of situation, you know, our, our sports psychologists who work with our team, uh, the, the people at Amplos, uh, Milt Louder and and Corey Schaefer, they have a big part in in our success in the penalties, no doubt, because you know how to handle that situation. Yeah. I remember watching, uh, you know, your team play in the finals against Stanford and Kansas city in a cold, a cold dreary sort of day uh, with no fans in the stands, which was unfortunate because everything was packed in carry. It was great. It was a great atmosphere, but you know, I thought Clemson was out playing Stanford. And then all of a sudden we discovered this kid, Jordan Morris, who spins in the hole and, and basically, <laughs> you know, uh, tucks two in. It was, uh, it, you know, it, it's the team was playing so well and yet hey, you go down two nil, you know, it, so it's difficult. You're pulling your hair out. So uh, a better result this time, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I, uh, I turned to Jonesy, my, uh, my longtime assistant uh, <laughs> when we went up uh, with the second goal. And I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I said, that's going to make us relax a little bit at halftime uh, or going into halftime. And I'm happy Jordan Morris isn't playing for the other team. <laughs> Right, exactly. Grail? Yeah, Noon. So with success or failure, often comes reflection. And obviously, you've gone through the successful part. I'm just curious, as you kind of look back, as you're looking back over these past days, like who comes to mind in terms of maybe a past coach or two, things you might have learned, Any, anything just really kind of like coming into clear focus over the last few days? Well, yeah, there, there's there's a couple things. Uh, you know, I... I texted Dabo yesterday and and said uh you know we really need to get our the the national championship trophies and have a picture with uh Terry Don Phillips who is the athletic director who hired us both and took risks on us both and uh you know he's a humanist he's now retired living locally in the area but he understood and understands in his hiring process what really you know 
good college coaches, the, the, the qualities you have to have. And, and I'm, I'm very, very thankful for, uh, for Terry Dine, but probably, you know, funny talked about Keach and, and the influence Keach has had on, on my uh, life and uh, having him in the stands was fantastic. I called coach Yeagley as soon as the, the game was over. Um, Jerry Yeagley's had a, a very, very uh, important and, and valuable place in my career. Uh, and then the last person is Bill Besick, who has been my thinking partner, uh, you know, coach, uh, sports psychologist, life coach, who, uh, who works with all, has worked with all of our teams for the last <clears throat> 20 years and maybe even a little bit longer and someone who, uh, who is, uh, you know, just unbelievably valuable in a, in a, in a, in a voice and a sounding board for, uh, for me. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and those are the guys that are outside mm -hmm. my family, obviously Debbie and, and, and the girls and sure. my immediate family, but, uh, but those are the guys who, you know, I reached out to and, and, and made sure they knew that this was more about me. It was about them. Well, you know, uh, this is one of the concerns I've always had is uh, how, you know, you're paying it forward because some of the guys you've coached, some of the guys uh, that are coaching now that played for you uh, were there at the game. Rod McKeachin, who coached you at Middlebury. He also coached at the University of Vermont. He was on the on the national staff for a long time. And then Jerry Yeagley, who was just legendary. I think a lot of people see soccer the way it is today and they don't realize what's come before them uh, and the, the sacrifices and the, the trailblazing that some of the people that, you, that you've mentioned um, did a lot of that hard work. I mean, uh, I, 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 what's your connection to, to Coach Yeagley? I know we played against him in the indoor league there. Uh, you know, and the one story I remember about Jerry Yeagley noons when we played is he got a bunch of young college players. Everybody's cocky and sort of doing their thing. And I watched, I think one of the DiBernardos walked up to coach Yeagley and said, coach, I finished my soda. Is it okay if I, I have another one? And I was, and I was like, Oh my God, these guys are, they're, they're trying to act appropriately. And, and, you know, I guess coach Yeagley was, was that way a disciplinarian in a sense, but sort of set a way that you should act as a, uh, as a gentleman and as a player, as a representative of Indiana university, um, yeah, what was your, um, your, your run-ins with him or how did you, you know, how did he influence you so much? Yeah. I mean, uh, he just, uh, kind of adopted me, uh, took me under the wing because I didn't go to IU. Right. Right. And, uh, but, uh, but, uh, I was Keech's assistant uh, at one point and he and Ron were, were somewhat close. And then, uh, I went out and I did their camps, uh, when I was a young assistant and, uh, wow. uh, Coach Yeagley and, and Madeline, uh, at that point, Todd was maybe seven years old, eight years old. And uh, and I would continue to go out there. And then when we were in Fort Wayne, I continued my relationship with him when I was playing. Um, and, you know, one of the main things every coach has to have is presence. But Coach Yeagley has presence and grace, right? right? And that's why he commands so much respect. And, you know, to I, you know, it's something that I always have tried to strive towards. I don't think that I'm the finished product the way that he has been. Uh, but, uh, but he's someone that, uh, that was, a, was an example for me as I was going through my college coaching uh, career. And, you know, I, I can remember, and I've now come up against a number of young coaches who are really, really talented when it comes to X's and O's and, um, and, and competitive. And we're all competitive on the sideline. I sure. think that the referee in the second half probably would know how competitive I was. <laughs> I um, saw that. But, <laughs> but I, I do think that, um, I, you know, there is a way uh, to win gracefully. And Jerry Yeagley is that example. Well, and you've proven that as well. I, I just, we got to wrap here, but one thing that is, has stood out to me is, you know, you mentioned Indiana, um, you had Hartwick in another era, Philly textile early eras. It seemed like it was easier to consistently place in the top 10, top 20 in the country. It seems like it's a lot more difficult now. There's a lot more players. There's a lot more competitive programs. Um, do you, do you believe that or? Is, is, yeah, no, no question. I mean, yeah. don't tell those guys on the 84 and 87 Clemson national championship teams. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same point, at the same point, it's just competitive equity, which I referred to earlier. I mean, schools are investing in their programs, leagues and, uh, and, and conferences are setting minimum standards for that investment. Um, and so, and they're, like you said, or like we talked about earlier, the playing uh, tides are rising, right? In terms of the players being better. 
but so are the coaches. And so is the infrastructure that's around the game, the facilities, uh, everything that goes with it. So the game continues to grow and now it's beginning to thrive. And, and I'm just so, so excited that to, to be a part of that and, and, and be, you know, hopefully a part of it for a little while longer. All right, coach. Well, uh, congratulations from all of us here at over the ball, uh, your friends. And uh, it just a lot of hard work that we've seen go into it over the years and um, it, it, wonderful to win it in the way you did. Uh, congratulations. Take it in. Enjoy yourself. Uh, embrace the moment, my friend. Head coach Mike Noonan at the Clemson Tigers, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Sam, I do like you a lot, but uh, Grail and Flinney, I love you guys. So uh, be well. <laughs> all right, be well, coach. Thanks, you guys. Right, so it's great talking to head coach Mike Noonan of the Clemson Tigers uh, at his big uh, final four win. So he's gotten that monkey off his back. He's got to feel good. So, hey, we got a two for one here on Over the Ball today. Two, uh, two of the bright shining stars in the world of soccer here in the uh, in the States. Um, formerly of being sports, he's been a, a guest on our show before, but now he's taking over the job as play by play man for the new Charlotte FC franchise. Eric Krakauer, welcome back to the program. How are you, pal? Good, good. Uh, you know, up to my uh, knees. I was going to use another word, but up to my knees in, in boxes. We see that. Uh, but, uh, we see that. I'm, do I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Great. So you made the big move. You were living in Miami uh, and then uh, you, you got this job. So, yeah, you're just trying to get everything sorted out. It's a great town. It's a great sports town, Charlotte. Um, and you guys are about to make your mark on that, uh, that town as well. Tell us a little bit how it went down. Well, you know, you must let me take you back to be in sports a little bit, right? Let me, yeah, let me take you back to the beginning. Look, I've okay. always believed, I've always wanted to get back into Major League Soccer. I started carving out or attempting to carve out a path in, in this career um, by doing some writing about the Red Bulls and NYCFC as a beat writer. You know, some people would ask me to write articles for them, but more often than not, I was writing things for my own from my own, own blog, uh, you know, and from there I went to podcasting, you know, the, the whole story. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm a big believer that in order for soccer really to, to really take hold in this country, major league soccer has to, has to boom. Um, yeah. th there's no two ways about it. Yes. You have plenty of premier league fans and Serie A and La Liga and, and all that. But, but I really think that without a, a, uh, a really good domestic league will never be able to compete with the biggest sports in, in the United States. And Major League Soccer, as you guys know well, has grown um, in leaps and, and bounds. And I'd been following Charlotte FC right from the from its genesis, you know, and the way that they were trying to, um, you know, reach out to the community. Uh, get people involved right from the get-go. It was yes, let's build a franchise. Let's let's you know put put all the the right pieces together when it comes to a front office. But at the same time as they were doing that, they were communicating with fans. They were they were doing uh, events you know in South Carolina and in North Carolina, and they have a very ambitious project. So I really wanted to be a part of that. Uh, I called my agent uh, Seth Myeri, who's out of. New York City, who's a wonderful guy. And I said, look, Seth, I really want you to get me an interview with Charlotte FC. I, I don't need you to focus on anything else. I was perfectly happy at being sports and actually we'll continue to do a few things here and there uh, for them. So it's not been a complete, a complete split. He got me an interview uh, with Darius uh, Barnes, uh, who's the director of business operations. He used to, if he's a familiar name, he played for a decade with the New England Revs. Really lovely guy. Uh, and, and it just went very well from there. So it was just me really pursuing them. I wanted to be a part of the project. I mean, how many people get an opportunity to get in on the ground floor and help build a, a cultural fabric? Well, you know, it seems like each team that's rolled out, Seattle, Atlanta, LAFC, you know, it's like they've built on uh, the good things that other teams have done. And it seems like Charlotte did that as well. You know, you get the stadium, you get the fans behind it, you get the ticket sales, you get everything else happening. And I tell you, you're in football country, but I was down there watching the final four this weekend in Cary, North Carolina, and there are a ton of soccer fans. There's a lot to tap from. So um, it's great that there's a team down there because there's a lot of good soccer down there. So you're moving in, you're excited about the city itself. Uh, have you found any Portuguese food yet? that you're that you're uh, looking for. 
No, I haven't. And and uh, funny enough, the the guy who heads up the local ABC affiliate here, the channel that will be carrying our local games, is actually of Portuguese heritage. And so I hey. went to do an interview with them once I was I was hired, and I was chatting with them, and he said, "Look, you know, there's no Portuguese restaurants anywhere near here, but you're always welcome to come to our house and have some bacalhau, which is music to my ears, as you yeah. know, Kevin. Yeah, you know, I love bacalhau." Well, yeah, playing for all the Portuguese teams that I had, I, I think I uh, I enjoyed the food so much after the games. Like food, I didn't even know what it was, and I was, like, loving it. So I, I'm a fan <laughs> of it for sure. So, uh, uh, Sam, got a question for – Yeah, I just wanted to build off that a little bit. Good to see you again, Eric, and uh, congratulations on the, the new gig. Um, I'm curious a little bit about – you, and you might not have the full answer to this yet, but just kind of what what type of soccer city Charlotte is, you know, what the kind of soccer community is like there and what you've been able to sort of ascertain so far? Well, I don't know what kind of soccer city it is because I've been here a week. And for that, I only visited once for about three days. But I can tell you with confidence, though, Sam, that um, people are very invested in this team. Uh, the first night I was here, uh, which was last Thursday, so a week today, I drove from Miami. Um, I split the, the drive in, in two parts with my newborn, my toddler, my cat, and my, my fiance. Uh, the first half of the trip, very deceiving because the kids were sleeping. It was at night. And the cat, you know, was meowing just a little bit, peed a little bit in her, in her box. But we expected that. The next day, though, it was a horror show. My, my toddler, my daughter, uh, Stella, was sick a couple of times, just threw up all over the car. Uh, Benny wouldn't stop could, crying. Could have been, could have been, the cat, was, could have been the cat pee. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, could, well, it could have been. It could have been. Uh, the cat, you know, had the devil in her. So, uh, you know, a deceiving first night, and I was completely psychologically destroyed by the time I reached Charlotte and had just about an hour and a half to take a shower, get dressed, and head out to the Jersey release, which I was going to MC. Now, I hadn't done any prep, and I don't know if you guys seen this. I'm sure you have, but Lloyd Sam has been hired as the, my co-commentator, which I think is, is the great hire. And just before I went on stage, you know, after I managed to wipe the tears away and put myself together, he <laughs> says to me, he asks me, do you have anything prepared? There are 2,000 fans out there right next to the stage. And I had nothing prepared because all I'd been thinking about was, was that trip and trying to get over the trauma. Uh, <laughs> but... Once I got on stage and I saw that sea of, of, of fans, raucous supporters, men, women, you know, various ethnicities, you could really tell, man, there's investment here and there is a really committed uh, supporters base because it was very, very cold. And the same can be said about the other night on Tuesday, the expansion draft, uh, we, uh, we hosted it live from Bank of, Bank of America Stadium. I just came from Miami not used to the cold, uh, freezing my ass off, and yeah. a ton of fans, some of them in short sleeves, one of them took a shirt off, I believe, you know, just celebrating every pick. And they've proven to be uh, amazing, uh, committed, and very friendly. I mean, all speaking to me, it, it's just been a very good experience with the fans so far. And what you don't mention is the guy who took off his shirt had Eric Krakauer painted <laughs> across the front of it. So it was uh, it was a nice welcome. I mean, I would certainly correctly, so. no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Grail, crack congrats man i couldn't be happier for you it's great to have a, another shining star involved in american soccer so a uh, quick question because we love talking about how how the sausage gets made around here in terms of the commentary you know the inside the commentary type stuff i'm just curious have you given some thought since you've been doing um you know la liga and uh ligun for um for being Switching gears, have you thought about how you might have to adapt your commentary to a different type of soccer audience? Or is that just overthinking it too much? You know, that's something that I've mulled over quite a bit uh, recently. Oh, not only recently. Once I knew I had the job, which was in October, um, you know, I started thinking about the way that I would approach uh, this gig because it's a completely different league. And, you know, unlike those those who tune in to watch Liga and La Liga for the most part, you have to somehow bridge the more cultured soccer fan. And by that, I mean the ones who are already, you know, watching a ton of Premier League and a bunch of European leagues as well as South American leagues. And those who are new to the team and probably never watched soccer, but really want to be a part of the 
soccer cultural fabric that is that is being knitted here in Charlotte. It's a, sort of the same situation as we saw in Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? And I thought that Kevin Egan did a really good job of bridging both those both those groups of fans and the ones that are peppered in the middle. But since I've been here, I've bumped into a few supporters who have who have known my work from being sports. And the one thing that they have said, you know, over and over again, is that they really enjoy the way I call games. You know, they like the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we were looking for, for a co-commentator and, uh, you know, thankfully, um, Charlotte FC made me a part of the process, you know, part of the interview process. One of the qualities that I said I wanted in a, in a really good co-commentator was enthusiasm. You know, I, I, I think that one of the one of the things that uh, commentators in the United States are very fortunate about is that there aren't stringent parameters with which we have to uh within which we have to navigate. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're commentating in England, there's an expectation, a model, a style. Right. Here there is too, but it's a much broader uh, a, a, a much broader space. And I think that that gives us liberty to find exactly the kind of commentators that we want and the style that they bring. And enthusiasm is a big part of it. Lloyd Sam will bring plenty of that. That's how I call games. So I'll try and bring that. And then when I start calling those games, if I feel like I have to tinker some things, you know, adapt, then I'll do so. But for now, I don't think I'll make many changes at all. In a little bit, you're sort of inventing the wheel here. I mean, we talk about it on this show all the time. We had the the English influence uh, on the game. The announcers were always English generally. And we, you know, had to say, because it was authentic apparently. And then uh, sort of the sort of the Latino culture that has sort of crept into the, the broadcasting booth. I mean, what's interesting to watch is someone like yourself now, you know, a real American vibe, a kid who's played here and, and, you know, kind of mostly for the most part grown up here to put your own spin on it. So we come up with an American version of how we report this game, how we do the play by play. And it's, uh, it's been exciting for us to watch a, a, a guy like yourself. Cause we've, you know, kind of watched you come up when we saw you on being sports, we're like, nice, we like this, but you take all that expertise and now you bring it to what is an American game, you know, here in the United States. So it's a, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, Sam, did you have something else for, for Eric? Uh, yeah, just uh, to build off Grail's question a little bit, Eric, um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, approach-wise a little bit, but are you you're looking forward to being able to sort of be on the ground and like embedded uh, with this team um, opposed to, you know, covering these leagues on, you know, far-flung continents that, you know, maybe you've never even been to and you don't don't really have a sense of what the local culture is like? Yeah, you're hanging with the players. Yeah, 100. Yeah. 100. percent I mean, that's going to make a world of difference, right? I'll I'll be privy to to storylines that nobody else will, you know. And we'll have a sideline reporter who is going to be sort of immersed on the day to day happenings. I, I won't be so much. I will be, you know, but I'll be doing other things um, as, as well. And yes, look, Sam, you know, when I'm calling La Liga or Liga or Turkish Super League, I'm doing an awful lot of reading, much harder to do that in Turkish. You know, I have to translate a lot of pages. I've been, I've been lucky enough that there are a lot of really, uh, uh, really great Turkish soccer supporters who have reached out to me over the last couple of years, have developed, you know, uh, some relationships with them. And so they'll actually message me things and say, listen, you may not have caught this, but there was a meeting between, you know, uh, Fenerbahce president Ali Koch and Vitor Pereira, and he wants him to change his system. And and those things are, and those things are certainly help. But being able to be on the ground, being able to talk to Miguel Angel Ramirez, the, the coach, or Zoran Corneta, the, the sporting director, to talk with the players, which I already have. You know, at the at the Jersey launch, for example, I had a lot of FaceTime with people like Christian Fuchs, who's hilarious, by the way. Uh, you know, and get to know them a little bit, see what makes them tick build a rapport and that way I'll get really good stories that people at home won't you know won't be familiar with and I think that only adds to the telecast to the broadcast yeah and you're right on the ground floor as it's starting so you know the 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 history uh you know you know what everyone's going through so it's not like you're joining a team that's been there for 15 years and uh, so much to to catch up on and everything so uh, you're right at the ground floor grail yeah, crack. Uh, I'm going to shift gears for a minute here. This is a question I've been dying to ask you, by the way. Um, and it's a little bit of a loaded question. I'll say that up front. So, Boxers or briefs? So, so, is it more, so is it more important to the success of the 2022 World Cup 
to have Portugal or Italy qualify for the tournament. I will just open that up for you. And Sam, wow. Sam, you are welcome to take the opposing positions. <laughs> Go ahead. Wow. Listen, I think it's going to be tough for any one of those two teams to, to miss out on, on the World Cup. I mean, Italy are European champions, right? Um, I don't know when the when was the last time a European champion missed the World Cup. You know, I have to go into the annals of, of soccer, which I don't often do unless I have to. But, you know, just the fact that these two teams get an opportunity to play against each other in a playoff is, is huge because there are a lot of other confederations. Look at CAF in Africa, for example, where teams won their groups and still have to play in a playoff against each other to get the teams that are going to the World Cup. In South America, how grueling that is. So I think that the Europeans are very, very fortunate that they have the privilege to even be in this in these playoffs. Because to be honest, I'm a Portuguese fan. You know that. Uh, given the way that the team has been badly coached over the last few years, even in Euro 2016 when they won it, they don't deserve to be in the World Cup. So if their absence means that they're going to clean house, I'm all for it. I, I hope that answers your question. And by the way, <laughs> on, on this wow. point... On, on this point, um, you know, Charlotte FC, just to take it back to Charlotte real quick, have done something that no other team, to my knowledge, uh, uh, have done. And that is they hired somebody called a chief fan officer. Now, at face value, it seems comical, right? But this guy, Sean McIntosh, that they brought in, he's a huge Lazio supporter. He's Italian, uh, half, half Italian, half American, grew up, grew up in Italy. And, you know, we're planning, I think, to do sort of like a little something funny, a little digital of, uh, you know, the two of us watching the game and maybe even, you know, throwing some punches. Uh, <laughs> Mystery Science but, uh, Theater 2000, that would be, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, he's come in, we, we've talked about this and we've, we've joked around. And by the way, you know, nothing related to your question now, but the fact that the club has brought somebody in his position, somebody who is sort of the voice of the fans in the front office, just mm -hmm. shows you how serious Charlotte is about uh, having the, the fan voice count for something. That's good. Great. Hey, so uh, MLS Cup uh, last week, uh, kind of a thrilling final. What, what are your thoughts on MLS Cup? This one and in I general? Really, I, well, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a Euro snob in many ways, but I love the playoff system, right? I just wish that the supporters shield in some way meant more. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. And I don't know exactly how you do that, whether you reward these teams with a lot more gam, you know, general allocation money, do something to elevate the supporter shield. But mm -hmm. I also like the, the, the playoffs, you know, uh, they do it very well in Mexico as well. Um, so just the opportunity of, of, of being at one of those games, a big cup final is great. Going back, to this one i was really disappointed in in, in portland man uh mm -hmm. just the way they allowed nycfc to come in there and dominate possession for the first 15 minutes you know allow them to get into their rhythm i thought portland was even though portland is not as good a team as nycfc i thought they were going to win that game because of the home crowd because mm -hmm. of the turf because of the field dimensions they had everything going their way so congratulations to NYCFC, the first New York team in what two decades to to win a mm -hmm. to win a title, and a, and a New York team. You know, I love the Red Bulls, but they're in New Jersey. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, you know, actually, we had Dave Mazer on last week. Sam, I think you had uh, thought he had a great idea for Supporter Shield, how to award points. Um, do you remember what that was? Uh, his idea was that the higher seed, not necessarily only the supporter shield winners, but the higher seed should have to be, you know, beaten. If, if the game ends in a tie, the higher seed advances. So we don't have the penalties and we put a little more weight on the, the regular season finishing. So, yeah, because the, the, the buy just certainly doesn't work, right? The buy killed the new England revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you crack, you know, that as a player that to take that much time off, you lose your rhythm, you lose your legs a little bit. It's uh, it's, it's interesting. Graham? So crack, so crack, you think they'll finally get the stadium that they deserve? Cause Yankee stadium is just such an insult for this team. I mean, a great history in baseball, <laughs> oh, yeah. but for soccer, no way. Do you think they finally get over the hump with this success? I, I listen guys, I, I don't know, but given it's been what, seven years, seven, yeah. eight years seven. already. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think anybody should be particularly optimistic of anything getting done or agreed on 
in in the short term. That's just yeah. the sad reality of things. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I liked covering NYCFC. I hated being in that press room. You, yeah. you guys, that press box, right? You guys have been there. You're mm-hmm. on top of home plate. It's the worst angle ever to watch a, a soccer game. And I think it, it does a little bit of a disservice to the product on the field, but also to, to Major League Soccer, at least in terms of the international perception, right? Definitely. Which is something where we've been winning hearts and minds. You know, people watch Major League Soccer in Portugal. People watch Major League Soccer in, in Britain. There's a big movement there. But when you see the, the, the NYCFC field at Yankee Stadium, I think in many ways, if you're trying to attract fans, new fans, that's not the way to do it. But that's, you know, through no fault of their own. That says soccer on the edge of a tortilla chip is the way it's played there. So, well, crack, we've, we've enjoyed this. Uh, congratulations on the new gig. We look forward to having you back on over the ball and, uh, and, and watching this, this franchise grow. Um, and uh, so good things to come. Uh, Eric Krakauer uh, from Charlotte FC. I said be in sports in the beginning, but you are there no longer. Um, and you waited to the last minute to move your family up north. The very last minute. <laughs> Uh, it's the heat, Kevin. It's the heat. <laughs> I don't want to escape it. Good stuff. Bear crack out. We'll talk to you again, my friend. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Man, two rising soccer stars on our program today, guys. Huh? Oh. How about it? Unbelievable. Double punch. Mike Newton and Eric Krakauer. So uh, yeah. I, I, I tell you something. I really feel uh, good things are going to happen. That guy's got the knowledge, the base. Uh, of, of knowledge and sort of just he's articulate and boy, he's, he's going to do a great he job. Worked, he works really hard and he's got a global perspective on the game, which is really going to serve him well when he comes into Charlotte too, you know? Yeah. And, and he loves it. He's passionate about it. And he's right. Yeah. We, we, as MLS goes, this country's uh, national team goes. So uh, we've always said that. So, all right. So other things going on around the world. I know girl, you wanted to your, your boy, Sergio Aguero retires at 33. Yeah. So he had a heart condition. He had a very brief tenure at, at Barca and he came off in a match and uh, didn't feel right. And they did the test and they basically said, you run the risk of uh, dropping if you don't stop playing. So yeah, they had a really nice event for him at, uh, Camp New and Pep Guardiola, his old coach, came. And, you know, you just look at the stats and, you know, the 10 years he did at Man City, just an incredible 184 goals. Uh, Thierry Henry had 175. He's definitely one of the top four strikers, in my mind, in the Premier League, along with Shearer, Henry, and maybe Harry Kane. So, and again, probably scored the most famous goal in Premier League history when he got the winner in 2002 against QPR to seal the uh, title for Man City. So just an amazing career by any measure. Yeah, just deadly in the box. We're going to miss uh, watching him play. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 33 is is young. Some of these guys are still playing, you know, so sure. it's unfortunate. So what happened with the UEFA Champions League round of 16 draw? <laughs> Well, I'm sure I'm sure Sam has some really good thoughts on this too. But Sam? it was just well, it's just another botch up. I mean, it was like they mixed up the they mixed up the balls, and you know you can't. There are two basic things. The rule is that that a team can't face the clubs a club from their own league, and they can't face a club um, that they've already played in the um, group stage. So those are the two qualifiers going into the round of sixteen, and they somehow got Manchester United's ball misplaced. So they drew Villarreal again, who they had played in the group stage. So they just said, we got to just redo the entire draw. So the, the, the oh person that's most, the team that's most pissed off is Real Madrid who had drawn Benfica. And then in the redraw, they drew PSG. Sam, what are your thoughts on this? I, I mean, I don't know what else they could have done. No. I mean, what, yeah. what was the the other option was just to go back and do it from that point, I guess. I mean, I, I think it was the right solution, Sam. I just think it was really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I get it's a it's a up. random selection process. It's yeah. not like that big of a deal. But 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 I thought this was classic. Oh, well, this is embarrassing. In, from, in no, world from UEFA. Yeah, this is the quote. They blamed it on a technical problem with the software of an external software provider. I mean, they should have just said it was human error. We made a mistake. People would be like, okay, do it again. Yeah, but there's so much corruption in world soccer that uh, people would, everything's a conspiracy. Look what's happening in our country. So, hey, so guys, I'm really worried. Uh, I don't know if any guys have comments on this, but we've seen some action start to take place over the Omicron, uh, uh, the impact it's having on global soccer. Uh, you guys worried? Yeah, so a bunch of premier cl- 
league clubs this morning announced suggested that they suspend the season from now until the weekend January 8th and 9th to try to nip it in the bud. So that right. hasn't, um, the premier league brass has not made that decision yet, but a lot of, uh, teams are petitioning for it. And if you guys saw the Bundesliga last weekend and Bayern was playing in an empty stadium. So wow. I feel, it feels eerily like we're going back to where we yeah. were about a year ago. Right. Well, new strain, cold weather again, uh, and look at what's happening to NFL teams. It's it's hitting them exponentially. I mean, I think thirty seven players yesterday or something, twenty two the day before. So, kind of scary. Sam, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I play in this indoor league, and we all had to wear masks last night for the first time, uh, which was not a fun experience, and um, just a you know kind of a depressing reminder of of where things are, and this the cycle is going to be going for a while. I think. Yeah. Don't get vaxxed. Don't wear a mask and look where we are all these months later. So, uh, all right. Well, good stuff, uh, guys. Good show. I just want to make a, a quick announcement. We've just, uh, Sam and I found out today that this is Grail Hallett's last broadcast, uh, on over the ball grail. It's been, uh, you've been with me at Sirius XM FC. You've been with me at ESPN. And now, uh, as we're, um, as we're going here, it's kind of solo. Um, yeah. We're going to miss your insights, but we're going to have you back to to talk about what you, what's uh, you know happening in the world of marketing and public relations and franchises being bought. I don't know, uh, Sam, are you yeah. a numbers man? Because because Grail was our numbers man and our uh, our global I impact. Lo I've loved every minute of working with you and Sam. It's been so much fun, and uh, yeah, I'd love to come back as a guest. Um, it's, uh, you know, talking about soccer is what I love to do. So anytime you guys need me, I, I will be there for you. Well, you'll have to sell your uh, sh stock shares. Of <laughs> uh, cash right. it in. Uh, so, uh, well, we've loved having you there and uh, you've done so much that is seen and unseen on this show. Um, your sense of business acumen has helped me uh, navigate this, uh, this crazy world where, look, I'm just from a world of telling dick jokes and getting a check and leaving. And, uh, you actually with your, your, uh, sort of buttoned up business ways. Um, so best of luck in your new adventure and we'll see you thank again, you. Uh, on over the ball. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank our guests, head coach, Mike Noonan of the NCAA national champion Clemson tigers, and also Eric Krakauer. Uh, it's been wonderful to watch this man's rise in the broadcast field. Uh, as he takes over at Charlotte FC for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett for the last time. I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB.